My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 143. Hey folks, we're running out of year, aren't we? We survived Thanksgiving, now we just have to survive Christmas. Hopefully we can all do that together. Hopefully I can help a little bit as well, because there's a lot of people wait till the very end of the year to buy a car. Is that a smart thing to do? Well, it could be. You know, incentives have been suppressed for a long time. You know, all through the pandemic, they eliminated rebates and people were having to pay out the nose for new vehicles because there just weren't any out there. If they wanted something, you know, the dealers had one or two on the lot and that was about it. So it was desperate times, but we're not there now. Inventories are way, way better. Uh, even here at Gateway Ford and Gateway Nissan, our our inventory is full. We've got plenty of cars, and we've got incentives. The prices are down. Uh, the manufacturers are offering big rebates. Uh, they got 0% financing on a lot of things. So really, maybe wait until the end of the year was the right thing to do. Looks to me like it was. So we'll just congratulate you and move on. Today's show, we're going to be focused on credit and warranty nightmares exposed. You ever watch or listen to Dateline NBC? You know, where they do the murder mysteries and all that kind of stuff. Well, Keith Morrison, he has the best radio voice and TV voice in the world. You know, he would say, credit and warranty nightmares exposed. Well, he would do it better than that. But that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to expose some things. You know, credit. most credit nightmares are self-inflicted wounds by folks. You know, you could go into a situation, though, where a dealer, a car dealer, new or used, or a bank for that matter, they pull your credit so many times that it drives down your score. But that's not, that's not the biggest thing. You know, when you're constantly applying for new credit cards and that kind of stuff, and you have multiple credit cards, and you have big balances on those credit cards, that's definitely going to pull your credit down. Those are self-inflicted wounds. You know, getting turned down... Um, on a loan without a clear explanation is something that could be a nightmare for somebody who is desperate for a car. You know, you let's say yours is broken down. It's in a shop. They say you need a new engine, but then they say it's really not worth doing it because the car is going to, you know, you put a new engine in it and spend that money, you've spent more than the car's worth. Maybe that's a good reason to get into a new one. Then you go shopping for a new one. You're in a rental car. You know, because you don't have any choice, you still have to get around. You go to a dealership and they say, I'm sorry, we can't get you done. Well, why? Well, you just have bad credit. We can't help you. So what do you do then? Well, a lot of people go to, you know, some of these credit specialty car dealerships. I won't name them, but there are several, you know, where the interest rates are extremely high. Sometimes you go to a buy here, pay here lot where the interest rates are even higher. And you're wondering what happened. Well, I'm going to tell you what those primary things are that have caused your credit score to be as low as it is or why you got turned down for a loan, which can be a nightmare for anybody. And I'll get to that here in just a minute. Okay, so why'd you get turned down on the loan? Well, it could be a number of reasons. It could be because, you know, you, you have a decent credit score, but there's just not enough credit there. You know, we have a lot of customers that come in 
and they say, well, I've paid really well, but they haven't paid the right things really well. They just have like one credit card or two credit cards. You know, they're basically, uh, they have a lack of credit history at all. You know what we call those people? They're ghosts. So we pull their credit. There's nothing there. There's nothing negative, but there's nothing positive either. So that can cause a problem. Another thing that can cause your car loan to get turned down is something called debt-to-income, DTI. Debt-to-income means that the monthly payment, when you throw in the monthly payment on a car in with all the other payments that you have and comparing that to your, as a ratio, to your income that you have told us that you have. Like you have said, well, my gross income is this. What's your net income? What do you take home? Well, when you look at all the other repayments that you're responsible for and add in the payment on the car, you don't have anything left. Where's the extra money going to come from? You're going to strike oil in your backyard? You're going to discover gold? If you're not, then uh, you're probably not going to get into this car. Another thing that does it is slow payments. You know, when you're late um, multiple times on a credit card, could be on a mortgage is the worst. That that really looks bad when you're late on your mortgage or when you're late on car payments. Uh, th- that will definitely get you turned down on a car loan, or it will at least push you up to a higher rate category. And you don't want that to happen either because then you have to pay more interest for the same car. And interest is a measure of risk, as I've said many times. And the banks, if they see somebody that's slow to pay, then they see them as a greater risk for not paying at all. Uh, And then you have something that really destroys your credit and makes lenders very nervous, especially on car loans, is when you've already had a repo. Now, if you had a repo seven or eight years ago and you can explain what happened, you lost your job, somebody got sick or something like that, then sometimes the banks will step up and take care of you if you've been good since then. But if you've got a lot of late pays, Maybe you've got a credit card that was charged off a very low balance. You, well, I forgot about that. You know, it was a $25 credit card balance that was charged off. And that means that the bank said, or the credit card company said, well, we're not going to collect this. We're just going to charge it off. That goes on your credit report. It doesn't matter if it was $25 or $2,500. It's still a charge off and it counts uh, against you. Let's see what else. If you're, uh, had, of course, if you've had a bankruptcy, that's going to work against you until that's worked out. You know, what they want to see on a bankruptcy is that how have you performed as far as paying loans? You know, what new loans have you had and how have you performed on those loans since the bankruptcy? If they see the same pattern that you had before the bankruptcy, then they're not going to be willing to loan you the money. Or if they loan you the money, it's going to be at you know 25% interest, which can really make your payment really high on a new car loan, as you can imagine. Okay, what else? Oh, yeah, if the loan that you're requesting on a car deal, let's say that you've gone in, you've shopped, you picked out a vehicle, and they have calculated your payments, and uh, they've added in your payoff on your existing loan. You know, you had negative equity. In other words, you owed more on the vehicle than it was worth, so that gets that negative balance gets carried over to your new car loan. If you don't understand that, give me a call. I'll explain it more in detail. But uh, basically, that pushes up the uh, the loan amount to the value of the car when they compare those two. And some banks will actually loan 130 percent 
of the value of the vehicle. Some banks look at the, the value as the MSRP. Some of them look at the value as the invoice. And on a used car, they look at the book value. It may be NADA retail value. Well, they don't call it NADA anymore. But if they look at Kelly Blue Book, whatever they book they look at, they're looking at that number versus the amount of money that you're requesting to borrow. If it's more than 130%, the loan's going to get turned down. But really, do you want to borrow 130% of the value of a car? Well, a lot of people do. They're desperate for a car. They have no down payment. They're desperately upside down on their other vehicle. And so they take the leap, you know, and they end up financing the vehicle for 84 months at a pretty high interest rate. And then they, hopefully, you know, it's a car that they can stick with and pay for. You know, folks, that's that's one of the things that you need to do. If you're really upside down, rather than jump into an, another mistake, just go ahead and be patient and pay off that car. You know, just stick it out. Maintain the car. Keep it nice. Or at least get it down where the balance is pretty close to what the uh, actual cash value of the car is. Because otherwise, you're just... You're just adding to the problem when, when you jump into another new vehicle. Yes, you are getting another a new vehicle, and that's, that's exciting. I understand that. You know, you want to take advantage of new technology, and that, that new yellow color is beautiful, isn't it? But sometimes we have to be disciplined in our financial life and not let our car life ruin our financial life, and sometimes that happens. Okay, let me see if there's anything else on my list here. Oh, yeah, okay, sometimes people will bring in a cosigner. Okay, that's somebody who has supposedly, supposed to, have really good credit. Now, we've seen a lot of cosigners whose credit is worse than the, the person buying the car. But the, you know, the buyer didn't realize it, and the cosigner probably didn't want to tell them, you know. It's sad. You know, Grandpa may have had a, a recent repo that you don't know about. So be careful about your cosigners or choosing your cosigner. But if you do choose a cosigner and your credit is terrible, the bank may still not do it because the cosigner isn't the one responsible for the monthly payment. Let's say that you send Papa to come in and buy a car for you. Now, all along, Papa knows that he's not the one making the payments, but you're going in there pretending like he is. Well, the banks are, or, well, the dealers and the banks are supposed to sniff that out. That's something called a straw purchase. And it is against every rule that the bank has. I'm not sure that it's illegal, but banks have strict rules against straw purchases. They want the person who's responsible for the payments to be on the note. Now, what if Papa has great credit, you have lousy credit, but you have good income and can make, make the monthly payments? Then Many times the banks will let you do that, but they want Papa, they want his name first on the contract, and you're the co-buyer, not him. As long as the bank knows about it and it's all disclosed up front, then it's not a straw purchase. But a straw purchase will get a dealership in trouble, and it will get a lender in trouble as well. And they can actually void the transaction if they find out that it is a straw purchase after the fact. They can make the dealer buy the note back, and that's not something dealers want to do. And you don't want that either. So, you know, get to the point where you can comfortably make the payments. Your credit 
is adequate to be able to finance the thing to begin with, and then just pay it as you go, and then you'll be happier. Okay, something else. We're talking about nightmares, and that the credit things can definitely create nightmares. But so can warranty issues. And, you know, there's certain thing that, that, that the manufacturers hold dealers accountable for, and that's the Customer Satisfaction Index. It's a score. And it's based on surveys that are sent out to people that get their cars serviced or they buy a new car, and they'll get a survey. You've probably received many of them. And like a lot of the manufacturers, I know Nissan and Ford, they'll send a, a survey out after every service that you receive. They want to make sure that your experience is good, and they, they rate dealers based on this score. Now, a CSI can be a nightmare for a dealer if, like, on, I'm just talking about one specific circumstance. If they can't find your problem, let's say that you go to the dealership and you say, well, my vehicle is making this noise when it's cold. Well, you leave it with us, and for the first morning, we start it up, no noise. Second morning, we start up, no noise. And we call you and say, we can't get it to make a noise, and you get all frustrated. And then you get the vehicle back, and you get a survey in the mail, and you rip the dealership because they couldn't duplicate the problem. I'd recommend that you don't do that because the dealer knows when you rip them on the uh, survey, and some of the dealers may take that as an insult. Wouldn't you? I mean, it just didn't do it. It's a mechanical thing manufactured by human beings, and it didn't do it. Is that their fault? Well, no. You might consider it their fault because you might say, well, they just don't want to fix it. They do want to fix it. They do want to get paid to fix it because warranty pays good. Well, not as good as some dealers want. Okay, another CSI nightmare. We can't fix your problem. Okay, so you've got this noise. Uh, we've tried everything. We've had it in here two times, three times to get it fixed at, for the same problem. We can't fix it. So what do we do? Well, we contact the manufacturer and say, listen, we've got this issue with this vehicle. Are there any technical service bulletins? Do you guys, could you send an engineer to help us fix this thing? In the meantime, the customer gets a survey and they rip the dealer and they rip the manufacturer. You know what I would do as a consumer, I'm just speaking for myself, if they were still trying to fix it, really making an effort. I know it's been inconvenient, but they've loaned me a car to drive or they've provided me with substitute transportation. They're trying to fix the problem. I give them the benefit of the doubt and I would not send in the survey until they're done. When they're done, make sure that you recognize the difference between a dealer responsibility and a manufacturer responsibility. You know, if a dealer needs the fact, I'm sorry, we can't fix this thing. The factory says, well, we can't fix it either. What happens then? Well, that's when you get into the lemon law situations and factory buybacks. And that happens. It doesn't happen as often. Manufacturers have gotten a little tighter. Import manufacturers like Honda, Toyota, Nissan, uh, Hyundai, they are very reluctant to buy vehicles back. Domestic manufacturers are more willing to look at possibilities and, and possibly buy something back. So you have a great much greater opportunity to get a buyback if you are uh, dealing with one of the, the uh, domestic manufacturers, which would be the Chrysler Corporation, which is Stellantis, or Ford or General Motors. But I can assure you, you will not get a buyback, or you won't get any help either if you're faking it. Yep, 
You know, sometimes when someone doesn't like a car or they can't pay for a car that they've bought, you know, they've got credit issues. They've checked their budget and they're upside down $1,000 every month. we got to get rid of that car. Well, they can't because they're so upside down in it. The only way to get rid of the car is to let it go back and they don't want to completely destroy their credit. So what do they do? They claim the car has a problem. I have seen this happen many times over my 40 plus years in the car business. Where at first you you think, well, maybe they do have a problem and you you exhaust every possibility. You drive the car. You can't duplicate the problem. You bring it into the shop. You know, you tear something apart. You replace parts. That could be a culprit, you know, if the problem existed. But it doesn't exist. And so, you know, what the customer is just trying to do is to get the manufacturer to buy the car back. They're trying to get it to qualify for a lemon law. They don't really understand the lemon law. And but they are doing whatever they think they can do to get out from under this car. Needless to say, that is a very dishonest thing to do. But people on both sides of this equation uh, can behave in dishonest ways. That's right. Customers can lie too. I mean, they, they do it every day. Car dealers can. You know, car, uh, repair shops, they're fully capable of it. But, you know, most of them want to preserve business. They want to preserve the relationship. They want to fix cars. They want to get paid, and they don't want to see the customer come back more than once. They want them to be happy, but sometimes it doesn't work. You know, another uh, warranty nightmare is when one dealer fixes a car, but a second dealer gets involved later for the same problem. It's this finger-pointing thing that tends to go on. I'm going through that right now with a dealer over in North Carolina over a guy's truck that we fixed and then he took it back into the shop, and they supposedly found a few things wrong, that, you know, things that we did wrong. And, you know, they're wanting to charge him thousands and thousands of dollars to correct things that we didn't even touch. We didn't have anything to do with those parts. But, you know, the dealer is, I don't know. I don't know what kind of game they're playing. I've called several times. We've talked to their, their service manager. I've talked to the general manager. I'm just not getting anywhere. And the customer, who, yeah, that's right customer is caught in the middle. He thinks he's right because the other dealer has convinced him that we at Gateway are wrong. So, you know, that's that's one of those problems that rises to the level where I'm the only one that can take care of it. And I'm determined to, but I just haven't figured out a way yet. So that's that's a nightmare. Another nightmare is a major failure soon after the warranty expires. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in just a minute. You know, it happens. Your warranty runs out. A week later, engine blows up. Not covered. I mean, that's tragic. So what do you do in that kind of situation? Well, you go back to the dealership and you ask politely if they can do something for you. You're going to get a lot better response if you ask politely. Yes, your warranty did run out, and the warranty had a fixed time. It was maybe three years or 50,000 miles from the date the vehicle was put in service. Number one, find out what the in-service date really was. Because sometimes dealers, especially if you buy a demo, a car that's been driven, has miles on it, it's still titled as a new car or not been titled. It still has the certificate of origin, which is the new car title. You know, if you buy a car and it's got 1,500 miles on it, it's very possible that your warranty started at zero or five miles or whatever. It didn't start at 1,500 when you bought it. You thought it started at 1,500. 
and you thought it started on the date that you purchased the vehicle. So whenever you buy a car that has miles on it, like it was a, I don't know, the dealer's demo or, you know, maybe the service manager's demo, they may say that. Um, make sure you find out what the in-service date was because you could think that you had warranty coverage and you don't. But if you do have a major failure after the fact, call the factory. Uh, call the, the consumer hotline for the factory and file a complaint and get a case number and then go in to see the dealership and say, listen, um, can you help me? I mean, this thing's out of warranty by one week or it's out of warranty by 5,000 miles. You know, if a vehicle is out of warranty 20,000 miles and, and it has a major failure, I'm going into the dealership and see if they can do something because most of the time they can. They may not get the whole repair taken care of, but that maybe they'll just cover the parts or the labor or, you know, just a percentage, but it's it's worth asking for. But the one that, that's really going to get you in, in trouble is the lack of maintenance uh, records. And if you have a claim... And that claim is due to the fact that you didn't change your oil on a regular basis. It's one of the most important reasons to go back to the dealership where you bought a vehicle or to a, uh, you know, a dealer that sells the same brand and get your vehicle serviced there. Because if you ever have a warranty claim issue, it's not going to be a problem, especially if it's after the warranty expires. You have a whole lot better chance than if you're going to Jiffy Lube or whatever the lube place is called just because it's convenient. I know it's more convenient. Because you don't have to make an appointment there. You can just, wait a minute, I need to get my oil changed. And you can just drive in and get in line. And that's great. But what do you do with that receipt? You know, if you have proof and you have all the records, you you stand a greater chance. But if you're getting it serviced at the dealership, you have a much greater chance. So these are the, the pitfalls that you can fall into from a credit standpoint, from a warranty standpoint. You don't need any nightmares. You got enough of them. Listen to this radio show and you'll learn about stuff like this. Call me, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. I can help you with this stuff. I can actually intervene. I have many times intervened for customers in, in, in nightmare situations and help them get re- resolution, or at least help them understand it. So give me a chance. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.